book of Exodus in the Old Testament, chapters 34 through uh, verses 29 through 35. I'm going to be reading a version from the NRSV Bible, but you can follow along in your pew Bible if you like it. It may be a little bit different uh, than this one, but it's not going to throw you off. Moses came down from Mount Sinai. As he came down from the mountain with two tablets of the covenant in his hand, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face was shining, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron, and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him. And Moses spoke with them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, the Israelites would see the face of Moses, that the skin of his face was shining. And Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. The word of the Lord. What a joy and a pleasure it is to be among you, worshiping with you. I thank you for your gift of welcome and hospitality to me, for I have truly felt welcomed by you. As we continue now with worship, I share with you now our gospel lesson coming from the Gospel of Mark, the ninth chapter. This familiar verse about the Transfiguration. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his clothes became dazzling white, such as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses who were talking with Jesus. Then Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. He did not know what to say, for they were terrified. Then a cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud there came a voice, This is my son, the beloved. Listen to him. Suddenly, when they looked around, they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O holy and gracious God, may the words of my mouth 
And may the thoughts, the meditations resting upon each one of our hearts in these moments, may they all be acceptable to you. You who are today and forever our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Today's scripture has us ascending two mountains. Mount Sinai, located in current-day Saudi Arabia, and Mount Tabor, located in current-day Israel. Biblically, mountains are significant places where God tends to show up in surprising and powerful ways. There are several well-known biblical characters in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament who had memorable encounters with God on a mountain. Scripturally, the first mountain climber we come across today is Moses, who ascended Mount Sinai to receive God's Ten Commandments. While there, he had an up-close, personal encounter with God. To the people of Israel standing at the foot of Mount Sinai and waiting anxiously for Moses to return, the presence of the Lord appeared as a devouring fire on the top of the mountain. Understandably, there was some real concern about that fire. Moses was up there with the devouring fire for 40 days and 40 nights. Upon descending, he seemed okay, but was definitely different, as his face now radiated with a supernatural glow. Being in God's presence for as long as he was must have caused some of God's glory to rub off on him. In fact, the glow was so startling that the people of Israel were afraid to approach Moses. You know, I suppose it's understandable that the outer impact was most noticeable to others and impacted others, but I imagine the inner impact was also substantial. After all, how could one not be different and experience life differently after such an encounter with God? In our New Testament lesson, our mountain climbers are Jesus and three of his disciples. Basically, what we call the transfiguration occurred immediately after Jesus' declaration to his disciples that he must undergo great suffering and be rejected and killed, and that following him meant that they would also suffer. This was clearly not the future that they had imagined when they first started following Jesus. So it was with these disturbing thoughts, freshly planted in their heads, that Jesus then invited Peter, James, and John to follow him up a high mountain, a mountain thought to be Mount Tabor. Getting away to think and pray and experience communion with God was a regular occurrence for Jesus, we know that. But he typically did this by himself. This time, and at least one other time, he invited Peter, James, and John to go with him. After the four of them ascended the mountain, suddenly Jesus began to radiate light. It was as if that which was hidden inside his human body burst out 
and became visible. The entire startling and stunning experience was extraordinary, but much shorter than what Moses had experienced. And when it was over, Jesus stood alone with his glory, once again tucked right back inside of him, and the awestruck disciples hardly knew how to respond. Although Peter, in his typical impulsive way, blurted out a response, he would build three structures, one for each of the glowing figures of faith. You see, in those days, when something significant happened, building a shrine was the most common way to mark the spot and commemorate that special event. So it probably probably was the only way that Peter knew how to mark and preserve such an experience. Perhaps it was the look on Jesus' face, or the voice coming from the clouds saying, This is my son, the beloved, listen to him, that convinced Peter to forget about the structures. Whatever it was, Peter got the point. God-glimpsing moments are meant to be experienced and taken to heart, not enshrined. By way of that one unexpected, stunning moment of transfiguration, those three disciples, as well as all of us who continue to ponder that holy happening today, are reminded that God's glorious presence is closer than we often think. And God's purpose always has and will find fulfillment. For a few glorious moments, three disciples saw Jesus more clearly than they had ever seen him before. And if you think about it, that clarity was only possible because when Jesus asked Peter, James, and John to follow, they set aside whatever plans they had for that day whatever fatigue they might have felt, to be with Jesus. Accompanying Jesus meant an uphill climb. Now, I don't know about you, but when I climb up a steep hill, there is always some huffing and puffing involved. Staying with the other disciples would have been easier. It would have been more relaxing. But sticking with Jesus meant a blessed and never to be forgotten glimpse of his glory, God's glory. From the glow of the moment, Jesus and his disciples descended back to the valley where there were places to go, there were teachings to share, there were sick people to be healed, hungry people to be fed, disputes among the disciples to be addressed, and crosses to bear. As Jesus had promised, there was suffering and death ahead. Those disciples descended from the mountain with nothing more than a glimpse of God's glory and the assurance that everything that was about to unfold was part of God's plan. But that glimpse and that assurance had a lasting impact that was later preserved for us in the gospel accounts. You know, occasionally God comes to us like on Mount Sinai and Mount Tabor, and we are stunned, just stunned, 
by lights, by thundering voices, by a presence that is startling and impossible to miss. But, you know, I think more often, and from my experience, God comes to us and quietly pulls back just for a peek the curtain between earth and heaven, now and eternity, reality and God's glory. Such glimpses, whether they happen on a mountaintop in the Middle East, during a worship service on a Sunday morning, while watching a beautiful sunrise, or sitting beside a gentle stream, while at church camp or on a mission trip, we are invited to cherish those holy glimpses and those blessed assurances of God's presence and God's purpose. Jesus knew that Peter, James, and John needed time, as well as some further information, some further experiences to process and better understand what the mostly inexplicable mountaintop experience meant. So he told those three to tell no one about what they had seen until after the Son of Man had risen from the dead. It's certainly true that such experiences may never be fully understood and accurately described by our human minds and our vocabulary. However, throughout the ages, such moments have been the experiences of those who believe in and worship the living God. Whenever God's people gather and worship as a community of faith, we are not only proclaiming God's presence among us, we are also anticipating an encounter, aren't we? Perhaps like the Apostle Peter, you have wanted to hold on to your own glimpses of God when you have wished that the choir would go on singing, when the words of a hymn have filled your heart with joy, when prayer has transported you into the reassuring presence of God, or when your participation in Holy Communion made you aware of a future reality of full communion with God. My husband and I would even like to think that there are times when you are disappointed when a sermon comes to an end because you knew, you just knew God was speaking to you and you wanted to hear more. Now such moments may be short-lived, <laughs> but still your spirit is lifted. Your heart is strangely warmed. Inevitably, you return to the valley of everyday life but you do so cherishing your glorious glimpses of God and realizing you are different, stronger because of them. Those wow-type moments often leave us with a sense of peace and hope as well as challenge and conviction. And that's good because just as the disciples got back to the business at hand in the valley, we are called to do the same. We may occasionally wonder what good is a fleeting glimpse of the living God when our lives continue to be impacted by struggles and doubts, by disappointments and disagreements, illness and death, 
We cannot build our whole faith on such unexpected, sporadic glimpses any more than we can build the whole story of Jesus around what happened in a few transfiguring moments on a mountain. And yet, even if only for a moment, it makes a difference to have glimpsed God's glory, known God's presence, and heard God's voice. I think that worship is our regular and desperately needed trip with Jesus to the mountain. Here and now is our weekly opportunity to be with Jesus and to open ourselves to a different reality than our normal reality out there. A reality that focuses us on God's presence, God's promises, God's love and salvation, God's call, and our faithful response to that call. What we experience here helps us to leave with renewed strength and hope to face the difficult and sinful realities of everyday life. Back in the early days of the civil rights movement, busloads of white activists arrived in the South from the North to help in the struggle for justice. They came to place themselves on the line to join hands with black brothers and sisters. They came to march, to risk imprisonment and possibly death if necessary. They were prepared for almost anything. But many of them were not prepared for hours of crowding into churches to sing and pray and hear sermons. Many of the northern activists said, well, all this singing and praying and preaching is fine if you like that sort of thing, but what in the world does it have to do with the real business at hand? Why are we here in a sanctuary when we should be marching on the streets? Some of those well-intentioned northern activists struggled with all the worship. But others knew, they knew well, that hundreds of years of evil would not be wiped out in one or two marches. It was preaching and praying and singing that had kept them going for all those years. And those were the things that would keep them going through what they knew would continue to be struggles ahead. And so they sang their spirituals like Swing Low, Sweet Chariot, and We Shall Overcome. And they sang words such as, Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand. Precious Lord, lead me home. You see, they withdrew for worship so that they might return to the world with renewed perseverance and a hope-filled vision of God's future. Perhaps that is why, once the way got long and hard, once the cameras focused elsewhere, most of those northern activists got back into their buses and headed home. It was not that they no longer cared, no, they were just tired. Their eager humanitarian impulses and good intentions gave out. 
And there was nothing left to sustain them, to strengthen them. Without precious and much-needed times of withdrawal, renewal, glimpses of God, like we are offered in times of worship, faithful life in the valley is so much more difficult. When today's postlude ends and your focus is diverted elsewhere, the reality that this is an ordinary, gloomy, rather chilly day in February may become very clear. It may seem as though nothing has changed since you entered this sanctuary and opened yourself to God's presence. But might you be different? I hope that many of you here today can testify to the fact that your glimpses of God, whether here in this place or elsewhere, make a difference in your daily life, in your perseverance and your faith. So what does a God encounter look like on you? Is it noticeable to your family, your neighbors, friends, co-workers? Is it noticeable to your to strangers that you come across even on the street? It really should be noticeable. It may seem as though we are always exiting these doors and returning to an unchanged, difficult world. But we return as those having glimpsed God. We return with an assurance of God's love and grace, with a convicting hope, and with a strength of spirit that helps us to live lives of faith, no matter what we end up facing in the valleys of our everyday lives. So I am so glad you are here today. And we have had this opportunity to worship together. By making time for worship, you chose to accompany Jesus to the mountain today. You could have chosen otherwise. You could have chosen slippers, a comfy chair, your favorite mug filled with coffee, as well as any number of other activities. But I believe this time of hanging out with Jesus in the presence of God will help you live with faith in the valley outside these doors this coming week. So thanks be to God who comes to us, blesses us with glimpses of his glory, a glory that impacts our lives today and will someday fill all of our moments. Thanks be to God. Amen.